Hey, this is Pastor Mark. You do not want to miss this week's podcast. You're going to laugh till you cry, but it's good tears. They're good tears. So, man, tune in. Listen to this podcast. It's going to inspire you, encourage you, and, and prayerfully help bring change that you desire in your life. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Just thrilled to be here tonight. We're doing a series for those of you who are here for the first time wondering what's going on. Uh, when we rented the facility uh, back in March, this was the only date that was filled from 11 to 5, which I didn't see that early on. I thought it was, uh, I thought we could get in. I thought it was actually, anyway, I thought wrong. Uh, so, <laughs> can't explain how wrong I thought. And uh, so, anyway, we adjusted. So, next week, 9.30 and 11 a.m., so those of you who have been coming at 9, we could get an extra 30 minutes sleep now. And we expect you to be on time. Um, <laughs> so anyway, uh, we're glad you're here tonight. If uh, you would, turn in your Bibles uh, to 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verse 24 is where I'll begin reading in a moment. We've been doing uh, this series now, I guess this is about four or five weeks talking about super people. Uh, I don't think anyone is born super. Uh, I think that um, we are born with sin. I talked about in the first sermon how to over let your life overshadow the sin, dealing with sin in an appropriate way. We all have sin, and uh, we cannot be ashamed to address it. Ben, could you help maybe a little bit of the feedback? I'm getting feedback up here, um, and I want to do that the whole service. So uh, tonight we're going to be talking about super people suffer with strength. You suffer with strength. Now, nobody likes to hear a message on suffering, but you need to hear a message on suffering because um, everyone in this room is going to experience suffering in life. I would bet that everyone in here has already suffered to some degree in life. Am I right? If there's anyone who hasn't, let me know what medication you're on. Uh, Because I want some. I I mean, the reality is everyone has suffered, and yet Christianity doesn't talk a lot about suffering. There are certain branches of our faith that even believe that if you do suffer, it's the result of something, a sin in your life. Well, duh, who doesn't have sin in their life? Therefore, it's, you're either in denial or you're just flat out lying. So the whole idea behind this message is to talk about the different ways that suffering comes and how to suffer redemptively. In other words, make the suffering end up working for you. And there's a way to do that, if you know how to suffer right. And we can look at the life of Christ. There was a wealthy man who was trying to explain to his friend that the rich suffer just like everybody else. Because oftentimes we look at people with money and the mentality is, wow, wouldn't it be great? I can, I can buy my way out of any type of suffering. If, if, if we have a problem with our air conditioner, not a problem. Don't have to suffer with the heat because we'll get it fixed immediately. And you can go down the list of all the things that you think, well, you know, they never go without food. They're never hungry. They get what they want. They, they, you know, all those things. So the mentality is, 
the wealthy don't suffer. So this real wealthy man was telling his friend, look, I know that you look at my life and you think it's pristine and there's never an issue in my life. He said, but I want to tell you something, even the wealthy suffer. He said, you know, money can buy a bed, but not sleep. It can buy a clock, but not time. It can buy you a book, but not knowledge. It can buy you position, but not respect. It can buy you medicine, but not health. It can buy you blood, but not life. So you see, money isn't everything. It often causes pain and suffering. I tell you all of this because I'm your friend, and as your friend, I want to take away your pain and suffering. The friend listened intently. Then he looked at his wealthy friend and said, So why don't you send me all your money and I'll suffer for you? <laughs> it's, it's just a thought. Uh, but the point is that the tendency is once we begin to suffer is we look around at other people and we begin to either get bitter or cynical uh, thinking that nobody has it as bad as we do, which will exacerbate the suffering even more. And in uh, 1 Peter 2, 24, it says, This is the kind of life you've been invited to, the kind of life, life Christ lived. This is out of the Message Bible. He suffered everything that came his way so you would know that it could be done and also know how to do it, step by step. He never did one thing wrong, not once said anything amiss. They called him every name in the book, and he said nothing back. He suffered in silence, content to let God set things right. Now, whenever we experience pain and suffering, the most common thing that we all do is scream out. Isn't that what pain does to us? We, we've always got something to say. We've got a response to pain and suffering. And yet we look at what Christ did, and if we can follow this pattern, because some of the greatest pain and suffering we'll ever experience is to be misrepresented. Maybe at work, uh, some uh, co-workers talked about you or said something about you to co-workers, or maybe even worse, they've said something to your boss, and, and you know it's not true. And yet, when you try to defend yourself, it's really your word against their word. So in a way, uh, the damage has already been done. There's not really a lot you can do except sometimes simply be silent. Just not say anything and let God work it out. Because the Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. So if, in fact, you have been misrepresented, uh, maybe sometimes the best thing to do is to eliminate the suffering is to do nothing at all. Now, all you type A's right now are really mad at me. <laughs> because type A people, man, we got, we're going to go and we're going to build a case and we're going to defend ourselves. That's really not what Jesus did. Jesus did a lot of things I don't like. There are times I just think, I think he should have called thousands of angels and just ripped a bunch of people up. <laughs> I mean, that's just kind of every now and then in my flesh, my carnality, that's just what I think he should have done. But he said, no, I'm going to show you a greater way. I'm going to show you a better way. I'm going to show you a way that will redeem 
not just your peace, but possibly redeem those who are bitter and evil and mean because you represent love. And love never fails, but you know what? He should have right on the heels of that said, and love never works quick. That would have been a great way, in my opinion, because what I've seen is sometimes you just love and you love and you love and you keep getting abused and taken advantage of and, you, and you're suffering because nobody seems to be changing and all of the burden of the crisis is falling on your shoulders and, and you just can't seem to get over it. And until you do get over it, it's going to be hanging over your head until, cause, because God's doing a work in your life. God's doing a work in my life. God's doing a work in our lives. And, and you just wonder, I never forget Smith Wigglesworth's wife, who was born again. And some of you don't remember, just Google Smith Wigglesworth, one of the greatest stories that you've ever heard. And, and this is just an old handyman, just, he was just a rough, big man. But his wife loved God. And she would pray for Smith, day after day, night after night. And, and one day they got into this big argument. And, and she said, I'm going to church. He said, no, you're not. She said, yes, I am. He said, well, if you go to church... Don't expect to get back in this house when you come home. She went to church. Sure enough, she comes home, door's locked, she's locked out. Next morning, Smith wakes up and startled and goes to the front door. She's sleeping on the porch. She jumps up and says, what do you want for breakfast? Long story short, he ends up getting born again radically and becomes a minister of the gospel. Now, she's suffering for a season. It didn't look good. She was mistreated for her faith and mistreated for loving God and being committed to God. But she decided not to get bitter in her suffering. And as a result of not getting bitter in her suffering, it redeemed her spouse. And I hate to tell you this, but sometimes the greatest harvest comes when we endure the greatest pain. But too often, rather than trying to prove God right, we try to prove ourselves right. It's time that we prove God right. Love your enemies. Bless those who persecute you. I don't know about you, but that's hard for me. It's hard. I think it's hard for all mankind. And if it's not, please email us and tell us what your secret is. And I, I promise you, your secret's not a secret, it's in the Bible. You've simply learned to apply the Word of God. You've simply learned that it's true, love never fails. It's true that those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. We have to wait on the Lord. We have to allow God to be in charge. The very first point is super people know that suffering is inevitable. Just kind of want to throw that out to you. Suffering is inevitable. So if you're trying to create a life and make, make decisions every day to prevent suffering, not suggesting that you shouldn't be smart, but maybe instead of trying to prevent suffering, you ought to just think about pursuing the Lord every day and saying, God, if suffering comes, I will have the strength to endure don't ask God for circumstances that prevent suffering. Ask, ask Him to give you the strength to endure whatever suffering comes. Because that happens. It's inevitable. Remember, it says, this is the kind of life you've been invited to. doesn't say demanded, but invited to. The kind of life Christ lived. 
He suffered everything that came his way so that you would know that it could be done. Why would he want us to know it could be done? Because he knew we would have to deal with it. Some of you may be suffering through something at home, maybe physical illness, relational turmoil, financial difficulty. And and rather than saying, you know, every day get up and saying, God, I know that greater are you in me than whatever's going on in my world right now. I'm not going to keep talking about it. I'm going to keep talking to you about it. I'm not going to talk about it to others, with others. I'm going to talk to you. I'm taking it to you, God. I'm bringing this to you. Because the more you talk about it, the more your mind hears about the turmoil than the resolve. We can, because whatever we hear gets in us. That's how come faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Doubt comes by hearing and hearing from the word of men. The words of men will get in our soul, and we have to stop those. Suffering is often caused first by our own choices. You can look around and try to blame anybody else you want, but, but oftentimes it's a result of us. It's inevitable. You and I are going to make mistakes. You remember the story back in Exodus. Moses is in Egypt. And he's there to deliver the people of Israel. Now, Pharaoh, you may recall this, you may not, but this is kind of just a little slice of what was going on as Moses was trying to get Pharaoh to release the people so that they could go out and worship their God. Moses approaches him when the plague of the frogs is on the land. Now, I don't know about y'all, I don't like frogs. I just think they're gross. I do. I, I think, I think it's, it's snakes and then frogs. I think those are two of the just the most hideous creatures on earth in, in our world. They're slimy, they're hoppy, they're, it just, they're gross. So whenever there are frogs, I mean, have you ever heard a car run over a frog? Even that's unpleasant. I mean, they don't even, they don't even fare well under a tire. I mean... They don't sound good. There's, there's, there, there's nothing about a frog that's good. Okay, I want to make that point. Uh, and so Moses goes to Pharaoh and tells him, you just say the word and I'll get rid of the frogs. And he said it this way, I leave you the honor of setting the time for me to pray for you and your officials and your people, that you and your houses may be rid of the frogs, except for those that remain in the Nile, which is normal. You've got to have frogs, eat mosquitoes, and all that stuff. And here's what Pharaoh says. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. One more night with the frogs. Why would you do that? Why? Why would anybody look at somebody who says, I can get rid of them right now, but you go, no, let's, let's do it Tomorrow. I want to suffer one more night. No, I would have been saying, can you get rid of them yesterday, Moses? No, one more night with the frogs. How many times do we suffer because you're going to be, you want to be mad at your husband one more night? Or your wife, one more night. I want to show my neighbors I'm going to run my generator all night. I know the electric's back on. I'm running the generator all night. 
we cause our own suffering because we don't suffer like Christ did. And sometimes it's just on us. And then the second one you're going to love, and this is the one you're going to hold on to, is we often suffer by the, because of the choices of others. Can I, tell you, can I tell you something here? The reality is that even if somebody else does something to you, you get to choose to suffer oftentimes. Oftentimes. Not all the time. Remember the story of David who decided to take a census, count the number of troops in Israel, and he was doing a count. Well, the problem was David was going to count his troops to build confidence that Israel was militarily strong. In other words, I'm going to put trust in our army. And God's like, "Mm mm-mm. So David makes a choice to do a census. And then it says in 2 Samuel 24, before David got up the next morning, the word of the Lord came, uh, had come to Gad the prophet, David's seer. Go and tell David, this is what the Lord says, I'm giving you three options. Choose one of them for me to carry out against you. Well, it's not against David. Look at this. So Gad went to David and said to him, Shall there, come, uh, shall, shall there come upon you three years of famine in your land, or three months of fleeing from your enemies while they pursue you, or three days of plague in, the, in your land? Now then, think it over and decide how I should answer the one who sent me. David said to Gad, I am in deep distress. Let us fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is great. So David really doesn't answer. Uh, but, but he does because he's saying, I'm going to leave this in the hands of God. I'm not going to run from our enemies, and, and uh, I'm not going to have three years of famine. So he said, but do not let me fall into the hands of men. Smart. But even then, so the Lord sent a plague on Israel from that morning until the end of time, uh, the time designated, and 70,000 of the people from Dan to Beersheba died. One man's decision affected a lot of people. There was a lot of suffering. And maybe you've suffered from a bad upbringing. Maybe your home life was a mess. Maybe you're an addict today because your parents were an addict. Maybe, who knows, the number of possibilities in your life that you can say it's the result of somebody else. And you think every time you talk about where you are today is the result of where somebody brought you, and you can't get over that, you're actually suffering, they're not. So you can try to pin this on somebody else, but that's punitive suffering. It's not redemptive suffering. To try to hang blame on what somebody else did and and being angry because you're suffering because of their choice doesn't change the suffering or make it any less. You have to let it go. You have to let that go or you will suffer the rest of your life. And you think you're doing better because it wasn't your fault. It doesn't matter if it's your fault or not. What matters is your response to what created suffering in your life. I was listening to Joel this week and I listened to his podcast. I've known Joel forever. And I knew his daddy before he died. He called me when we started the church here first time. And Joel was telling a story of his daddy grew up in poverty in the cotton fields, didn't have much money. And, and he, as he got older, he realized how bad his life had been. 
And one day, he decided he had had enough. He was going to go to his parents and really give them a piece of his mind because of all he had suffered as a kid and not having enough food and not, and not having much of anything. And Joel says that day that his daddy was on his way to tell his parents, I think he was from a family of like 12, it was a huge family, and he heard this voice saying, basically, what would you have done if you would have been in your parents' shoes? What would you have done? And he stopped in his tracks and said, I realized in that moment that voice said they did the best they could do. They did the best they could do. And so sometimes people have done the best they can do, and, and you're suffering for what happened to you, and you want to go tell somebody off and give them a piece of your mind. Quite frankly, none of us have enough mind to give away. <laughs> so before you go do that, stop and think. Then the third thing is suffering is often simply the result of living in a fallen world. What happened in Orlando today? A fallen world. Somebody who, who was filled with hate that was set on going into a nightclub and shooting it up. Nobody expected that to happen. There was no relationship between those who were in that club and this terrorist who decided to take the lives of 50 people. But suffering is a result of living in a fallen world. And what I'm saying is super people know how to suffer with strength, to turn their mess into a message and their test into a testimony. Because every one of us in here would have a story to tell tonight of the mistakes that we've made that have resulted in our own suffering, the mistakes that someone else has made we had nothing to do with, someone that we love, someone we know. And we could hold on to that the rest of our lives and, and be miserable and suffer the rest of our lives. We, we can talk about just being in a world that is messed up. And, and we can look at that and we can lose sleep over that and we can lose peace over that. We have to look to the positive. And we have to look and say, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice, and I will be glad in it. His mercies are new every morning. Secondly, super people use suffering as identification. Really smart people go, you know what? I'm going to identify with Christ. If he suffered... So that he, he knew we would suffer. He's going to show me how to suffer. And, and so I'm going to identify with his suffering. Instead of saying everything is wrong, say, you know what? There's so much right about this because Jesus told me what to do when I started suffering. Told me how to handle it. But that's really hard to do when someone hits you on one cheek and go, hey, hey here's the other one. No, you, you, I'm going to pop you back before you hit me again. Because you just inflicted pain and suffering on me, and I, I'm fixing to make you suffer the way I'm suffering. You know, quite frankly, some of the most incredible suffering I've ever suffered is when someone was nice to me and loved me when I was stupid. That's when you want somebody to hit you. Just go ahead and hit me. Come on, man. I feel better if you hit me. Because that way you're as bad as I am. But when you, they don't act as bad as you, you really suffer. Because you know they should. They should hit you in the mouth. 
Suffering tells a lot about the character of a person. As a matter of fact, I would venture to say that suffering probably is one of the greatest ways to reveal what's really in us. And um, you can tell if someone's suffering real easy. All you have to do is ask them. (laughs) Hey, what do you think about, and man, when they start spewing poison, you know where they're suffering. You know where they're suffering. You know where the pain is. You just have to ask a few questions. It doesn't take long. Have you ever listened to yourself when somebody starts talking about something? I mean, the elections tell me when people are suffering. I mean, it's like there's not a party, Republican or otherwise, Democratic Party. They're all just filled with suffering and pain. They're all a bunch of angry people. They really are. You say, what are you? I'm not telling you because then you'll be angry. Thus proving my point. I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. Who are you going to vote for? None of your business. It'll cause you suffering. I may write my name in the ballot. (laughs) I ran for president in 2016. Nobody knew, but I did vote for me. I got one vote. We get all bent out of shape. We listen to all the rhetoric. And the more we listen, the more angry we get. And anger causes suffering. It won't do you any good at all. Matter of fact, the Bible says be angry and don't sin. It doesn't take a lot to get angry and sin. And so we get all angry. You know, if we just stopped and said, you know, we're going to pray and we're going to vote our conscience and and we're going to trust the Lord. Because that's the best we can hope for. And a lot of people are worried. What's going to happen if... I've already got a plan. I'm just moving to Costa Rica. Uh, just kidding. See, I, I, I make light of things oftentimes because I don't want to suffer. I'm not denying the fact that we're in a crisis. But you know what? If you read the Bible, there have been a lot of crises in history. A lot of crises with kings and judges and leaders. And uh, if we'll put our faith in God, all things are possible. God can do anything. Nothing is impossible with him. One person said it's an awful truth that suffering can deepen us, give a greater luster to our colors, a richer resonance to our words. That is, if it doesn't destroy us, if it doesn't burn away the optimism and the spirit, the capacity for visions and the respect for the life we've been given. You can turn suffering around. Super people always have a way of turning suffering around. Secondly, suffering reveals our level of commitment, not just our character. It's our level of commitment. How much are you willing to suffer until God brings the breakthrough? I know this is not as exciting as 10 ways to get rich. (laughs) But, But you know what? Nobody talks about suffering, how to use it in a way that brings glory to God. You know, oftentimes when, when one of your friends starts suffering, the, the, the line that's used is, well, i got enough issues in my own life, I'll come around when your suffering is done. You know what? The greatest people, the most super people I've ever been known in my life, there was one guy uh, during my period of real hard suffering, uh, a pastor in Chicago, church of 15,000 people, 
Every Sunday morning, every Sunday morning, listen to this. You've never heard of this before. I've never heard of it before. I would get a call from this pastor, and there was a part in their church service where that an executive pastor stood up and said, now I want all of you to get your cell phones out. You know, most churches say turn your cell phones off. No, they say get your cell phones out. And they said, right now we want you to call somebody that you've been praying for. They would call them, and a right at just seconds after everybody called the number, they would hold their phones up. They would not, he would not, the pastor would call. He wouldn't, he wouldn't talk to me. Uh, the first Sunday he did it, I thought, well, well, you, know, you, you know, was this a, like a butt dial, booty call, whatever? <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> forgive me, it is Sunday evening. <laughs> and I thought it was just some kind of like, but, but then I heard them, and they're, they're praying. They were praying for me, and every Sunday morning, Rather than forgetting Mark Crow, this pastor would pick up his phone and they, that church in Chicago would pray for me. Let me tell you, that's a friend right there. That's a friend. And that friend's name is Pastor Steve Muncy. Pastor Steve Muncy, every, I told him, I said, I will take a bullet for you. Because in my darkest hour, at the pinnacle of my suffering, not only did you not run from me, but every Sunday morning, you called me, and I would hear the phone ring, and, and, and well, I got in a habit of answering it, and I was listening to pray, praying for me, and I'm telling you, it brought such relief to know that somebody knew I was suffering, and somebody cared enough to pick up the phone and call and say, we're praying for you. I want to do that at Mosaic sometime. I just, I wake people up, 9.30. Yeah, I don't care how late you are. We're praying for you. I just, I was so moved by that. Just that simple act of someone knowing I was suffering and being willing to not turn their back on me, but turn their face toward me and say, I am with you in your darkest hour. Now, that's a friend you can count on, let me tell you. Suffering basically reveals what's already in us. So guess what? One of the greatest things in the world is God saying, that, you know, I just want, you know, I'm letting this happen. I want you to know what's in you. Because if you know what's in you, you can address it. One of the first steps to healing is being aware of where the pain is. What's causing the pain? What's causing this in your life? That's one of the, the greatest, greatest uh, steps that we'll ever take toward our health is knowing where to start. And so, if you've suffered, and you may be suffering right now, and people have, rather than saying, you know what, we're standing with you, and we're believing God, they look and say, well, what sin is in your life? Just look back and say, probably the same ones that are in yours. Because <laughs> I don't go there. We live in a fallen world. We make decisions that are wrong. Other people make decisions that are wrong. But let me tell you something. God made a real right decision that trumps all of our wrong decisions. And Jesus died on the cross for those decisions. And then lastly, super people accept suffering as a tutor. It's a teacher. Most of you probably don't remember this scripture, but the Bible says Christ himself, the Son of God, learned obedience through the things he suffered. That messes me up. Christ learned obedience 
through the things that he suffered. I don't believe God inflicts suffering on anybody. Don't hear me say that. That's not what this is about. But because Jesus said in the world, you'll have trouble, you'll have tribulation. He said, but take courage, I've overcome the world. It's no, it's no secret that, that we're going to have issues and troubles in the world. But let me tell you something. You'll know who a person is by how they respond to suffering. You'll know who they really are by how they respond to it. And I'll tell you that a lot of people have pity parties. A lot of people even take their own life because it's, it's such a painful situation that they're in that they just determine, I'm going to make everybody else suffer because I'm suffering. Now, please forgive me. Uh, tell them I'll call them back. Um, <laughs> I'm absolutely sure they wanted to talk to me. No, it's okay. It's, it's good. It's, it's okay. You're not making me suffer. I'm having fun. Thanks for helping me. <laughs> we don't get that uptight around here. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes we have moments that really are a test. They're not a temptation, but they are a test of how we will respond when things get difficult. Most of us do really good when things are going really good. But in those moments where pain and suffering come near to our door, tells us what we're really made of. And most of the time, we are a resistant people. And I wrote, as I told most of you, every day for 365 days. This was one of my journal entries. I said, I'm beginning to feel a little bit like Edmond Dantes in the movie The Count of Monte Cristo. He's in a dank prison cell with a slim chance of ever again experiencing freedom. So does he become an advocate for freedom or a protester against captivity? It will be his choice as to how he navigates his reality. Will he daily accept his plight and grow bitter? Or will he wake up every day with a passion to find a way to escape? Let me create yet another scenario. His character is actually innocent, so will he ponder building a case for his innocence and hope that one day the judicial system with a change in leadership will reopen his case? Decisions, decisions. At what point, if ever, do we accept what is and allow others in the system to determine our destiny? Others may change their opinion of us, but that must not cause their opinion to become ours. We can live our lives being against the way we are treated by those who... Uh, those people, or we can spend it creating a for response to poor treatment. None of us ever are ever in complete control of life's outcome anyway, but we can often influence its outcome and limit its impact on us personally. So the proper influence on pain, suffering, and people who cause it will certainly have an effect on our decisions and our attitudes, but we must take a for position not an against. What I have found is when you stand against someone, you're providing a defense. But when you stand for what God has, you're opening the door to great possibility. So if I ask any of you, 
all the things that you hate or you're against. I'm telling you, most of our human nature can run a list off real quick. But if I said, what is it every day that you get up and stand for? What are you standing for? I'm standing for life. I'm standing for love. I'm standing for liberty. I'm standing for hurting people. I'm standing for a fallen nation. I'm standing for neighbors who hate me. I'm standing for those who have wronged me. I'm standing for those who have caused me pain. The Bible says, though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. Don't you dare stay down because of something stupid you did or something stupid somebody else did or how somebody else has mistreated you because I'm telling you the day will come when God will reveal. I am for joy. I am for peace. I am for life more abundantly. We've got to stop being against things and start being for God, being for love, being for mercy, being for grace, because those are the things that we're focused on. And whatever you're focused on, you'll move toward. I want to move toward love. I want to move toward grace. I'll be doing a series on all of this coming up in August and uh, talking about the impact of standing on the promises of God and the truths of God in the face of great adversity. Hebrews 12, 7 says, You must submit to and endure correction for discipline. God is dealing with you as with sons. For what son is there whom the Father does not thus train and correct and discipline? Suffering is a painful teacher, but it is a teacher. Some of you have heard me tell this story my freshman year at Old Roberts University. And you've got to understand, when I took my ACT test, I had a hangover <laughs> out of high school. <laughs> Not the best way to go into an ACT test. So when I graduated high school, I wasn't a Christian. I wasn't saved. Then I get saved, and I want to go to college, and I want to go to Oral Roberts University, which was at that time very difficult to get into. Somehow I miraculously got in with my ACT score. I'm so embarrassed by it, I won't even tell you what it was. Some of y'all would think, I can't even go to this church. This guy's an idiot. And so, uh, and so, but I did have a hangover. It's a real big excuse. And most of you in here at some point in your life have been hungover. Um, why do I know that? Because I know a lot of you. Don't make me go there. This is the reason you come to this church. You look and say, if the pastor was an idiot, hey, there's hope for me. Uh, and so, I, was, I still had a pretty strong edge to me when I went. I wasn't, you know, it's one thing to be saved. It's another thing to be sanctified. I wasn't even close. I was on the S of sanctification. I had not even moved to A yet, you know. I'm still on the S. And, and so, I went to this class. It was humanities, and it was a requirement at Old Roberts University. Every, and as a freshman, everybody knew you got four semesters of this, and everybody hated it. So, I automatically assumed the position of hating it like everybody else. And I, I, had, uh, I had a class with Dr. Davis. Dr. Davis was my humanities professor. And we would, after, I'm, not, I'm not even exaggerating, starting the first class that we went to, uh, we, we were supposed to have an assignment, we were supposed to watch a video, and we'd come to the class. I thought we were going to discuss it because it was called Humanities Discussion. That was the name of the class, Humanities Discussion. Well, with the word discussion in it, what would you think? 
would take place in that class. There'd be a discussion, right? Every week we walked in, he said, put your books away, get your pencils out, we're going to take a quiz. Well, this went on for eight weeks. Being the unrenewed, unsanctified person that I was, I'd had enough. I was suffering. Why? I wasn't doing well. Why? I wasn't reading the material. After all, I thought we'd come to class, everybody'd discuss it, I'd get my lesson from them. <laughs> and so finally one day I lifted my hand, Dr. Davis said yes. I said, you know, I gotta ask you a question. I've been in here for eight weeks, and I said, I enrolled in a course entitled Humanities Discussion. Obviously, I'm in the wrong room because this is humanities quiz. <laughs> Can I tell you something? It didn't stop the suffering. It only made it worse. <sighs> Can I tell you I failed that class? Because <laughs> I did. Suffering was my teacher. It was the only humanities course I took twice. Stupid, stupid, no matter how you cut it. <laughs> and I thought I could get over my suffering by letting him know I didn't appreciate the quizzes. <laughs> didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> suffering is not inflicted by God like religious people would have us believe. Listen to this. Out of the Message Bible, and I'm almost done. Pizza's out there. No rush. You don't have anything to go home to tonight anyway, really. See, some of you are mad that I said that. You have no idea. Go home and suffer alone. All right, so <laughs> listen to this. Galatians chapter 2, verse 19. What actually took place is this. I tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God, and it didn't work. So I quit being a lawman so that I could be God's man. Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. I identified myself completely with him. Indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. And I am no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine, but it is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm not going to go back on that. It, is it not clear to you that to go back to that old rule-keeping, peer-pleasing religion would be an abandonment of everything personal and free in my relationship with God, I refuse to do that, to repudiate God's grace. If a living relationship with God could come by rule-keeping, then Christ died unnecessarily. You know why we suffer? We're rule-keepers. We're law-men instead of God-men and women. we got to be God-men and women, not law-keepers, but God-lovers. And we suffer because what we do is, is we try to fix our suffering by impressing God, by being good enough and doing all those things. And, and God is not moved by how good you are. God is moved by how much faith you put in Him and how much trust you have in Him to correct the issues in your life. If I could just pray 30 minutes a day, I'd be good. No, you wouldn't. 
Because then it would be performance because you think that 30 minutes means something to God. God would rather you walk with him 24 hours than pray before him for 30 minutes. To trust him and to love him and to walk with him. I'm not discounting those of you who pray an hour. Thank you. Just include me in that and don't throw me up in a wad. Call my name out. All right. Don't pay for my pastor. Say, pay for Pastor Mark Crow. God help that man. I want it, I need it, I desire it, and I think there might be an extra like gift for you in heaven for that. I don't know. <laughs> Dangling a carrot in front of you. <laughs> suffering has a shelf life which is determined by each individual. Your suffering at the end of the day is determined by you. I don't care who's treating you bad. I don't care what's going on in your world or your life. I choose to suffer or to not suffer. Somebody cuts me off in traffic, you know how I feel about that. <laughs> it happens all the time for the glory of God. I just. <laughs> That's Victoria up there in that car, you know. Because I can't get mad at her. <laughs> you know, I, I just can't. And so I, I just, I, that's, you guys don't know, that's my out for suffering. My daughter helps keep me from suffering, and she's not even there. Because I think if that was my daughter, I don't care if she runs into my car. I don't care if she runs me off the road. I don't care if she cuts me off, hit me in the back, stop in front. I don't care. Love my baby. There's no suffering. Because there's love. And wherever there's love, i got to tell you something. Even if there is suffering, that love will exceed that suffering. So all we have to do is be a people that walks in, walk in love. Grace and mercy. Be happy, people. I want this to be the greatest week of your life. I want you to go home and write down what, what's been... I want you to get a piece of paper and get the biggest magic marker. If you've got one of those fat ones, get it. And, and if you need two or three pieces of paper, write down what, what you've been suffering from. Lack, anger rejection, abandonment, whatever it is, just write that on that piece of paper. Here's what I want you to do with it. Some of you will really get this. Some of you need to get the scissors out, cut it up, and throw it in the trash, and say, there you go, suffering. You're in the trash, and you're going to be carried to the garbage, and you're not mine anymore. You're going to the dump. Some of you only need to wad it up. You're too dangerous with scissors. Just wad it up, throw it in the trash, take it to the dumpster, and, and, to your, you know, and, and let the garbage take it away. Enough of the suffering. Let it go and, and say, God, look, you suffered for me. You showed me how to do it. Sometimes you just need to be quiet and trust the Lord, like all the time. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for sending your son to suffer and die on the cross for us. Jesus, we honor you tonight by putting our faith and trust in you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, there may be those of you here tonight that don't know Christ as your Savior. And I tell you right now, it is impossible to live in a world like we live in today and not have suffering overcome us without Christ. So if you're not a Christian, I want you to know, I'm not going to ask you to stand or do anything. I just want to pray with you tonight. Because tonight, you can, in this prayer, you can give all of your pain and suffering to Jesus. And I promise you, you're going to feel like a weight has been lifted off your chest. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you tonight, say, Pastor, just pray for me. I want to ask you to slip your hand up right now. Just slip it up. Yes, thank you. Are there others? Thank you. Okay. God bless you. 
Let's all pray with these who lifted their hands. Say, Father God, I give you my sorrow. I give you my sin. I give you my suffering tonight. I trust you with it. I trust you with my life. And tonight, I'm a Christian. Not because of works, but because I put my faith in you. Amen.